0: Welcome to Live Free Church, we're a church that's passionate about reaching people at all costs. Here you can find all our recent sermons, we are so glad that you joined us today, we want people to live free lives ultimately found in Jesus, because we believe that free people, free people. Welcome to Live Free Church, I'm Colby, and uh, welcome to our series called Free People Are. When you think about it, what does it look like for you and I to be free people? When it comes to a free person, what does that look like? What are the characteristics defined by? I heard a quote this past week from Martin Luther, a Christian reformer. and He said that freedom is not so much an external phenomena, but rather a result of one inner spiritual nature. See, freedom isn't, what he's saying is freedom is not so much an external phenomena, but rather a result of one inner spiritual nature. Like, don't we think, when we think about freedoms, we so often focus on the externals, right? We think about external rights, not the internal life, the heart. In our culture, it's so easy um, to focus on the externals. Christianity so often does this. So often does our secular culture. Like, focusing on outward freedoms. but true freedom in Christ is found in the inner life. I think so, easy, so often people say things like, well, I would love to have a spiritual life or I would like to have a have spirituality. When it comes to people, when they talk about I need spirituality, they say things like, I want an inward center or I want to be grounded or I want inward peace. I want to be a person with deep convictions and meaning. What they're really trying to say is that I want this inner strength, this inner peace that would actually help me accomplish my agenda and live a better life. See, Christianity doesn't fit into that model. We talk about that kind of freedom, (laughs) a slavery tonight, ideology. See, we can't look at a Christian message and say that it fits into that norm or that custom. See, Christianity, on one hand, is about inward transformation, but it's a whole new agenda. It's a whole new alignment in your life. It's not just a way of helping you accomplish your agenda, not just helping you live a better life it actually reorganizes your life. The way you think about your money, the way you parent your kids, the way you um, talk to your spouse, the way you relate to your boss, your coworkers, it changes everything. See, I think a lot of times people want Christianity or spirituality to elevate their life, but actually Christianity, what it does is when you believe in Jesus, it actually reorganizes it all. The gospel, which really is that you and I are sinful, broken people, and that we have Jesus who lived and died and he rose again, and because of that, we get this free grace that actually sets us free. The gospel frees you in a way that, if you're aware of what you, what you need to be free from, it will actually free you from the things that you've ultimately made your life built around. I want to look today at this idea of this question of what does it look like to live an unburdened life? Like, how do you live free? How do you live free from life's burdens? It makes us ask this question, like, what is your life burdened by? What is my life burdened by? What is your life defined by? What is the ultimate thing in your life? The thing that if you lost tomorrow, you know, whether that's a spouse or a kid or a mom or a dad or you went bankrupt, like, it'd be hard for you to wake up Tomorrow. Like, what is your life, what is my life defined by? I want to talk about a guy in the book of Acts, in Acts 17, verse 16 to 21. And it's a, all about man named Paul. And Paul, who was an eyewitness to Jesus, who initially in the New Testament was this guy named Saul, and he encountered Jesus in a very real intangible way, and his life was forever changed. And Paul, in this, in this account in the Bible, he saw people's burden life. He saw their burden that was on them culturally. He was, and we're talking about not only, not only how, he, how he saw their burden, but actually how he felt about their burden and then how he reacted to it. So if you have a Bible, I'd love to open it to Acts um, 17, and we'll start in verse 16. It says here, while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was deeply distressed when he saw the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in a synagogue with the Jews and with those who worshipped God as well as in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Some of the Epicureans, the Stoic philosophers, also debated with him. Some said, what is this ignorant showoff trying to say? Others replied, he seemed to be a preacher of foreign deities. Because he was telling the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. They took him and brought him to the Aragopolis and said, May we learn about this new teaching you are presenting? Because what you sound strange to us, and we want to know what these things mean. Now, all the Athenians and foreigners residing there spent their time on nothing else but telling or hearing something new. It's an amazing passage. And really, it's talking about the human condition, about the burdens that we find ourselves in, the burdens that are on our lives. The first part I want to talk about when when Paul here is talking about the, the burden that we find ourselves in is that Paul saw the burden. Like, see, Paul saw the burden by being in the center of a city, in the center of the marketplace, in verse 17, it talks about this idea that, that he went not just to the place where people were worshiping, where the Jews and the God-fearing Gentiles were at, but, but he actually went to the marketplace every day. See, that's where he went with his faith. The faith was into the marketplace. See, what does that mean? That one of the problems that we have here in this, this word marketplace is not going to really evoke a rally for us because I think for us when I think about a marketplace I think about like a farmer's market I think about um, the mall right I think about the landmark center um, where the towers are I think about downtown but here what it's really talking about isn't those kind of places it's a really famous place called the Agora the marketplace in Athens you see Athens was the cultural capital of the world at that time see it wasn't the power capital because Rome has reclaimed that but it was the intellectual capital. It was still the cultural capital. In the midst of Athens, there was a marketplace, and the commentators put it this way. They said, on or just off the marketplace were temples, law courts, state offices, public archives, libraries, shops, concert halls, dance halls, gymnasiums, and galleries. See, who was there? Everyone was there. The culture was being formed in this marketplace. You had the judges officiating, deliberating. You had artists creating the stock markets there. Businessmen were were making all their deals. You had the media back in that day, which looked like um, face-to-face, person-to-person. They had heralds that came in with news, good news from all over the region. You had philosophers debating See, therefore, this is a huge public space. It's kind of like the center of the cultural wor- world in Athens where Paul is at. See, the marketplace isn't just a place where you shop for food. It's not just a place where um, you go to buy a good pair of jeans or some good food. It's not downtown Kelowna. It's the place where where ideas are being shaped. Culture is being created for the whole world. Everything happened there. Life happened in this world, in the marketplace. There's really kind of only three kind of marketplaces in this whole Greco-Roman world, and it's Rome, Athens, and Alexandria, and these places define the culture that they lived in. And I want you to realize this, that Paul doesn't just stay in the house of worship. He doesn't just stay in the temple. He actually takes his faith right down into the center of the cultural world, into the marketplace, and that's where Paul first encounters an idol. He encounters he the idolatry of this world that he's finding himself in. Of all their laws and all their, their philosophies, they're all built around this, this idolatry. He notices something. He's aware of it. and He's not aware of it because he's sitting at home you know, hiding, being terrified about culture. He actually sees it because he actually enters into the culture. See, Paul saw that underneath all the art, underneath all the business, underneath all the government, underneath all the philosophy were idols. That the real problem with the world isn't the bad things, but the good things that become the ultimate driving force for this world the things that have actually burdened you and I. See, he saw that we could, he saw what we should see. And it should change the way we do things, the way when we look at a culture, a city like Kelowna that I love so dearly, that we should see it and say that that under every personality are idols, under every psychological problems are idols, under, under every culture are idols, under every moral problem are idols. Under all social problems are idols. Under all intellectual problems are idols. See, Paul saw the idols. And really what an idol is, is just anything that could be a good thing that we make the ultimate thing in our life. The thing that burdens us, that drives us to have more and more and more and more and more and never feel like we're enough. You know, I think you have to notice the things around us that control us, the things that burden us. And that was Paul's first step, was that he'd be aware of it. He'd be aware of the burden placed on people. I remember a couple of years ago, my son, um, who was probably about four years old, was doing a Sunday school lesson in a church we were in. And, um, you know, he was in Sunday school, and we were in the service, and afterwards we kind of came out, and he, my wife took him home to make him lunch, with my daughter, Stell. I get this phone call about like, you know, 20 minutes after they left the building, drove home, and um, my wife, Lori, says, calls and says, hey, you'll never believe this. I'm like, okay, what, what is it? <laughs> what happened? And she goes, our son today brought home like a bronze calf to put up on a shelf, like the Sunday school lesson was idolatry and he actually brought home this little sculpture, this like golden calf to put up on his shelf to remind him that there's idols there. See, I feel like that's missing the point. See, I think it's so easy to, to focus on the external things. But internally, there's things that capture our heart all the time. Like where does your gaze go? Like what are you looking at all the time? What are you daydreaming about? What are you like fantasizing about? What do you say, like, if I just had this to make my life better? Like, those are usually the things that we idolize. But the first point about understanding what an idol is for our culture, but also for ourselves, is being aware of what it is. You know, if you're not aware of what, what you think about or what your gaze is on, because sometimes I think when we're like, we're so fixated on something, we have a hard time seeing what it actually is. The best person to ask is your kid, if you have kids. The best person to ask is your spouse. The best person to ask is your best friend to say, hey, what do I talk about a lot? What do I, what do I look at a lot? What do I share a lot of? I think that the top three kind of idols that I see in our culture, in our city, are sex, money, and power. I was talking with a couple just recently and they said, you know what? Like, They said the, the Christian church in Kelowna is really kind of skewed because I think that deep down what we focus on, pastors focus on, they said, is sex, money, and power. That there's so many affairs that have happened to pastors. There's pastors who are just so hungry for money. They're so hungry for power. And I'm like, you know what? This isn't like a pastor problem. This is a heart problem. This is a problem of all of our hearts that we're captivated by these things. I remember that when we moved here, driving around, and one day my kids said, you know, they're talking about a car in the back seat of the car. And I'm like, what kind of car do you want when you grow up? And my son says, I only want an R8, right? And my daughter's like, well, I want a Jeep with a roof that would come off, right? And then my other daughter's like, well, I want a BMW that's white, Like who here? Who talks like that? Who's like ten and you know and eight and six? And then when they're talking and they kept on going. Like you know what? I want a house and overlooks a lake. I want a lake view. I was like, like who talks like that? Maybe we talk like that. You know, maybe their friends talk like that. Maybe families talk like that. Maybe there's like an unspoken rule in our culture that you're not nothing until you have the best thing. The bigger house. It's, it's amazing to have a great place to live, but when those things control you, that's what I'm talking about here. Someone not having great things. You can have a nice car, a nice house, all those things, but when they start to like drive your desires, that becomes the burden. That's what Paul saw. The burden that was underneath the whole culture. You know, I think it talks about like, you know, when you think about power, right? I've had friends who've introduced me to people in Kelowna. They said things like, This person is the most influential person you'll ever meet. This is the most influential person in Kelowna. This person is so influential. I'd say, I don't care who this person is. I just want to get to know who you are. What's your story? How'd you get to Kelowna? What do you do here? But I think that speaks to this the idolatry, I think the big three of sex, money, and power. So you have to be aware of what the idols are in your own life, but also in the culture. It doesn't mean hiding at home, waiting. It means actually entering into the public square, entering the marketplace. It means my kids being in the public school system to see what actually this world looks like. The second thing Paul talks about is how he felt by the burden that was on people. See, he saw the burden, but then he felt something when he saw people being burdened. It says here he was deeply distressed by what, the, what he saw, that the city was full of idols, full of idolatry. He was distressed, he was grieved. He was moved, he was compelled, all those things. Like he actually needed to do something. He didn't just like, you know, I'm gonna just go on Twitter and be like, man, Kelowna is a really terrible place. No, he actually went in with compassion and passion to enter into a dialogue. You see, I think Paul was successful because he had passion. Right? He had he was passionate. He was a little bit outraged also, but he also entered in with compassion. You both have to have both things when you're entering into people's lives, when you're entering your own life with your own idolatry, with the with city that's full of those things. You think about the city that values so much sexuality. Like, just go down to Gyro Beach in the summer. I had friends who were like, We cannot bring our kids to Gyro because, guess what? There's so much sexuality down there. Like, I love Gyro. That's where I grew up. That's my home beach. But Paul, when he entered into the square, he entered in with compassion and passion. It said he reasoned and he dialogued. He did a good job because he was actually invited to talk at the place where they debated, where they actually cast culture, they built culture around ideologies. See, these are philosophers, culture brokers. If you go ahead and you read it, you see that his speech starts out very civilly, very respectfully. There's compassion, and there's gentleness, but there's also passion and outrage. See, that's why Paul was always so effective. Right? If you're not filled with passion, you'll never, ever have the courage that Paul had to say to people who were cultural in that day, who were like philosophers, who were these amazing thinkers, to give a reason why he has hope. See, I think if you don't have passion, you'll never have the courage to stand up to people, but if you don't have compassion, you'll never hear them. And that's what happens with Christians. A lot of times it's like a bowl in a china shop, and they're like, yeah, yeah, I heard this already. I don't know the reason why you believe what you believe. See, how do you respond to the city? How do you respond to Cologne? How do you respond to a city full of idols? How do you respond to your own idols that are being confronted? The things you've made the ultimate things in your life. Like usually when you and I are confronted with our idols, it makes us very threatened or angry. Tim Keller said that there's never a more threatening time in your life when your idols are being uprooted or being replaced by the gospel. You see, you look back, if you read over in Acts, just Acts 19, right? Paul is confronting people with their idolatry again in Ephesus, another city. And what happens? They start a riot. Go read it. In Acts 19, it's amazing. It's, I love this passage. But it starts a riot up and people don't even know why they're rioting. They're just so angry. They're just so full of... Of like bitterness, because guess what? Their whole economic life was built around selling idolatry, selling idols. See, Paul, he saw the idols, but he felt something about the burden that the idols put on the people. He had passion and compassion. And Paul responded. How did he respond? It's pretty simple. He preached Jesus in the the resurrection. That's what he preached. See, what did Paul bring out in the marketplace? He brought out the objectivity to Christianity. He was willing to get up in the marketplace with people who were like the influencers of that culture, people who influenced everything and say, the resurrection. He was willing back then to be completely, utterly vulnerable. And he based the truth and what he's teaching about Jesus Christ on a historical event, and it was the resurrection. He says that really essentially there's no other religion that made itself so vulnerable. There's no religion that came up and said, the reason why you can know it's true is that hundreds of people saw Jesus Christ rise, physically raised from the dead after he was crucified. See, Paul had the boldness, the passion, and the compassion to go into the square and say that. He was willing to come up and, and reason with them. What we call apologetics have a defense for your faith. He's willing to come out and say that Christianity isn't true because it's relevant. It's relevant because it's true. See, Christianity isn't true because it changes your life. It changes your life because it's true. See, he got out in the marketplace, the center of that culture, and what he said was, ask me why I believe this is true. Like maybe for you and I, it's going into our spheres of work, our workplaces, our friendship groups, and just saying, This is the reason why I, I believe this is true. This is why we, we operate our whole family from salmon arm to start a church up in Kelowna, is because we believe deeply the only thing that can change people is the gospel. It's Jesus. That's what Paul does. He shows up. He doesn't have some like great philosophical agenda. He just shows up and says, It's Jesus. And his resurrection that changes your life. It's Jesus' life in his resurrection that can uproot your idols, the things that burden you so deeply, that have controlled you, that have actually held you captive for years and years and years, and we want to free you. See, Paul was passionate and compassionate. What Paul wanted was for you to be in love with Jesus and for you to know how much Jesus can be in love with you when you put your faith in an object, and that's Jesus. See, Paul was willing to pick that up and pull that up and say, the only way you can be free from your idols, the burden in your life, is that if you desire more of him than the things that control you, if you desire more of Jesus than the idols that have controlled your life, it's Jesus. You have to experience Him. See, that's what Christianity is. It's not just an abstract truth or a, a mystical experience. It's an experience of truth, because truth became a person, and now relationship is the way in which truth comes into your life. Hmm. Like, do you understand that? Like, are you the kind of person? who feels the way Paul felt when he saw people burdened. In Kelowna, when you see a city that's burdened by so much stuff, my mom, who was a banker for years and years and years in Kelowna, he always says, to, says even now to us, in this situation we're in Kelowna, says, you know, people might seem like they have it all together. They have all the money in the world, and yet their bank balance probably says that they, don't have, a lot, they have a lot of debt. See, are you the kind of the person who sees the burden that Paul saw and felt the, the way he felt, distressed? Distressed for your friends, and your neighbors, and people. And the question is, how can we engage them passionately and compassionately? You see, the gospel gives analysis way to look at our world, the way to look at Kelowna, the way to look at um, our neighbors and our city. It says now all these people and even me are trying to ultimately save themselves through their idols. You know, it's no longer sitting up on your high horse if you're a Christian saying look at there's religious and irreligious people, the good and the bad. No, it's, it's really what it is is there are people who are trying to save themselves through their idolatry. And they're kind of people who finally give themselves to Jesus. There are only two kinds of people in this world burdened and unburdened people. Do you get that? Like everything in this world is based on what you and I can achieve. If you want a better life, you can go to Indigo and pull out a self help book. You can do meditation, you go see a counselor. If you want to make more money, what do you do? You just work harder, you find a better job. If you want to happier, your family, you spend time with them, you buy them things. All these things about our whole life are all about what we can achieve. Everything's about we, what we achieve, but through Christ, you receive, you don't achieve that. You can never ever achieve God's grace. It's something you only ultimately receive through Christ's death, his, his life, and his resurrection. His life, his death, his resurrection. You only receive that by understanding what he did on the cross for you. I'd hope today that you'd realize that our whole life is about achieving. I think a lot of times we can be burned out on that. Burned out, tired, weary, about constantly trying to achieve more and more and more and more and never measuring up. The thing I like about Kelowna Right, is if you try to like climb the social economic ladder of Kelowna, you will never ever probably arrive because there'll always be someone wealthier than you, someone more influential than you. Like you'll never be able to arrive, and that's why the city can be so overbearing sometimes, so burdened, so it's such a burden put on people. Like everything in our lives is about what we can achieve, but in Christ, it's something we cannot achieve. It's only something we can receive the resurrection. A brand new life. A life like John 10.10 10, to the full. To freely become not who you want to create in this world, but who you, you discover, who God created you to ultimately become in this world. A child of God. That's why we believe, that I believe, that free people are unburdened. Let's pray. God, I pray that you would show us the things ultimately that we make, the ultimate things in our lives, the things that we desire, the things that we gaze on, the things that I gaze on. Lord, that that this grieves you, that our culture is just, our heart is an idol factory, a city like Kelowna is full of idols, of things that people are just desiring, that they're like constantly being consumed by. How can you help us desire you more? Lord, I pray that we come to you with repentance and say, sorry for the thing that we made our lives about, that we actually want to put our faith and trust in you, that we want to hide back in our house. But we want to actually enter into the square, enter into the city, enter into Kelowna, not with some amazing rhetoric, but with the power of the gospel that, that it's all about you and your resurrection that changes people, that changes us. Lord, that we bring ourselves ultimately with our idolatry, with the thing that we made the ultimate thing, that we're saying that we don't want to hold that anymore, that we're releasing it, that we want to ultimately follow you, Jesus, that we want to live an unburdened life found ultimately in you and your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen.
1: Thanks for listening today. Please subscribe
0: to our podcast. Share with your friends. We would love for you to join our movement. All you have to do is go to livefree.church to join us.